0: Acts chapter 20, once you've found that, we're going to be reading 28 to 32 in the beginning, and then we'll be backing up to verse 1 once we get into the outline. But stand with me if you're able to for the reading of God's Word. Acts twenty, twenty-eight through 32. The Bible says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this... That after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now behold, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, and, uh, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them, Which are sanctified. The title of the message this evening, I think, will be a help to all of us here. It's entitled "This Committed to the Care of the Church." Committed to the care of the church. It is the uh, duty and responsibility of the pastor of each local congregation to look after and care for the church. But I think we all understand that pastor needs help. Pastor needs teammates. And uh, we all need to make sure we're doing our part to care for the church, to care for the church, and to care for the people that call this their church. And so this message this evening is going to be the shepherd encouraging other shepherds to team up and come together and lead the flock of God. And when I say the flock of God, yes, I mean those that attend here on Sunday morning, Sunday evening and Wednesday evening. Yes, I mean the Babies in the nursery, I mean the children in the children's department, the teens in the teen department. I mean the new Christians that are brand new to the faith and uh, are cutting their spiritual teeth. Yes, I'm talking about them, but I'm also talking about people out in the community that have not yet come to church here. I'm talking about people out there that are uh, in a world of pain and having problems and need this church to minister to their needs. I'm, I'm talking to each of you that have a heartbeat to help others, each one of you that want to obey the second greatest commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. So if you fall under those categories, if you want to love your neighbor as yourself and be an encouragement to you, then this is a pastor sharing his heart this evening, and we're going to look at Paul's heart. I believe that this is also my heart, and we're going to look at it this evening about how we can better care for the church and be committed to the care of the church. Let's pray. Lord, help us this evening. To have your heartbeat on this matter. Lord, I pray that these folks here that are listening to this message would follow me as long as I'm following you. Would have my heartbeat as long as my heartbeat is your heartbeat. Would care for others as long as, as I care for them as long as I'm doing it as you do it. Lord, may you be the one that sets the example, and Lord, may we follow. Be with, be with us this evening. Give us attention. Lord, stir us, move us, help us to see and understand the need. And, Lord, refine our processes of caring for people and loving your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, in preparation for my message, I stumbled across these ten statements about church ministry. And sometimes when you're uh, researching and studying, or uh, whether you're reading a book, studying a topic, for me it's studying the Bible, you come across something and you just know you have found a gem, that you have found something that is just Rich, I I cannot wait to share this with you. Let me give you ten statements about church ministry. I'd encourage you to flip your outline over and write these ten statements on the back of your bulletin. If you work for me, please write these down, meaning if you're employed here. If um, uh, you care about helping the church grow and uh, you want to be involved in that process, write these ten statements down. I wholeheartedly agree with, believe, and try to live out these ten statements number 1 the foundation of ministry is character the foundation of ministry is character you cannot uh, minister to other people you cannot lead other people you cannot love other people you cannot care for the church if you there is not a foundation of christian character deep in your heart character gets you to show up on time Uh, Character uh, gets you to pray for those that call you leader. Uh, Character gets you to communicate with other leaders around you so as that there's teamwork and team effort. Character differs when there's a rub or a problem. The foundation of ministry is character. Statement number two, the the nature of ministry is service. The nature of ministry is service. If you don't have a servant's heart, then you're not cut out to ministry. You're not cut out... To minister. Um, It it, it tickles me a little bit uh, uh, when I hear someone call themselves a minister, but they expect everyone to serve them as though they are a king. Pastors are not called to be Old Testament kings, they're called to be shepherds. They're called to tend to care for the flock. That means sometimes you're going to have late nights, that means sometimes you're going to have early mornings, that means sometimes you're going to be sleep deprived and emotionally empty. Uh, that means sometimes uh, you're not going to get your way. It means sometimes uh, you're going to get stepped on because you're a servant, and the ministry, the nature of ministry, is service. If you uh, don't want to care for and serve others, then my friend, uh, then you have no business loving others and doing ministry. Statement number three: uh, the motive for ministry is love. The motive for ministry is love. Uh, Paul said, speaking of spiritual gifts and the church body in 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14, or 12, 13, and 14, rather, Paul said that there's three attributes when it comes to gifts. There's faith, there's hope, and there's charity, but the greatest of these is charity. If the heartbeat behind... Your ministering to and caring for the flock of God is not charity. If that is not your motive, if that is not what drives you, then guess what? You're going to quit real quit, uh, real soon. Uh, you say, pastor, there are people that have the wrong motive in ministry. Oh, yes, there are. There are people who are self-aggrandizing. They want to promote their own selves and promote their own names and Pastors that want every other pastor in their state or their region to know who they are, and they want to have their face up on some banner somewhere, on front of some newspaper somewhere, a, a, a Christian newspaper. They want their sermons published, and they want to write books and be a well-known author. Fame, 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 fame eats them up. Sometimes the motive is not uh, um, fame; it's it's power, and they want to lord over and tell everybody what to do and be in charge. And you say, well, that's pastors. How about uh, just the average church attendee layman who's serving in the church uh, when you get up here to sing a special in church is your motive that everyone pats you on the back and tells you good job or is it that God received the glory and the honor you see the ministry motive of ministry is love the two greatest commandments are to love God and Love your neighbor as yourself. If your motive in service here at the church is anything other than love, then very quickly you'll become disgruntled and you quit. Well, the pastor didn't recognize me when I cleaned the building. The pastor didn't recognize me when I drove a bus. Uh, the pastor didn't recognize me or honor me uh, when I helped in the nursery or uh, uh, when I picked up truck Whatever it is, if your motive in ministry is love, then you don't need recognition. Because you're not doing it for me. You're not doing it uh, to be seen of men. You're doing it because you love the Lord and you love others. Statement number four. The measure of ministry is sacrifice. The measure of ministry is sacrifice. Paul told uh, the church of Rome, he said, he said that we're to make ourselves a living sacrifice. The idea of having a, a statue, uh, rather a, an altar where we bring uh, an animal and put it up there and slay it. That's over. A dead sacrifice. Jesus was the last sacrifice to die. Now we're called to be a living sacrifice. That means we sacrifice our time, our talent, our treasure, uh, our thoughts, our tomorrows. We give it all to the Lord and we say, Lord, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Uh, Lord, uh, my all is on the altar. Uh, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. My measure of ministry is sacrifice. I cannot give too much because God uh, is going to take care of and reward me as I seek first His kingdom. All these things will be added. Number five, statement number five, the authority of ministry is submission. The authority of ministry is submission. What caused the disciples to uh, bow down and worship Jesus? What caused the disciples to be willing to fight for, for His cause to the death, they had a master who got down on his knees with a towel and washed their feet. They had a master who was willing to say, Father, not, thy will, not my will, but thine be done. They had a master who knew his place and was submissive to God the Father in heaven. You see, when we're submissive to authority, we gain the right to lead. Now listen to this statement. Listen to this statement, please. You cannot be a great leader until you first mastered being a great follower. You, you, you cannot be a great leader until you first learn to be a great follower. I've heard pastors say, well, that guy there, he's a maverick. He's not a very good, He doesn't make a very good assistant pastor because he wants to go off and do his own thing. You know what? He's, he's cut out to be senior pastor material. And every time I stop and say, that is a, an, an erroneous statement. If a guy cannot learn to follow authority, then he has no right being authority. You all with me this evening? You have a ministry leader. Ms. Cheryl runs our nursery. Ms. Autumn runs our toddler department. Brother Andres runs our children's department. Pastor Andrew runs our teen department. Uh, we have other uh, people that run various aspects and ministries of our church. And maybe you work in one of those programs. And you work under them. And you think, if I ran the children's program... this, 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 and this. If I ran the choir, I mean, this, 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 and this. Listen, uh, uh, until you're the leader one day and, uh, and, and you're perfect in every way, right? We must learn to submit to one another because our authority comes when we learn rank and file. We learn to be submissive. The authority of ministry is submission. Notice statement number six. The purpose of ministry is the glory of God. The purpose of ministry is the glory of God. Why do we do this? Is it so that uh, we can have a big name and get big heads and talk about how wonderful we are? And uh, maybe maybe I know what we should do. We should get a picture of Pastor Lejeune just right in the pulpit. Maybe Photoshop some hair on his head and turn that into a billboard on the side of I-95. Wouldn't that be great? Then everyone can give glory to Pastor Lejeune. We should get a clip of you singing in church. Some of you think, oh no, not me. We should get a clip of you singing in church and uh, we should turn that into a music CD, right? Because it's all about you, right? It's all about me, right? No, no, no. The purpose of ministry is nothing other than to bring God glory. If at the end of the day, when you uh, serve the Lord here at White Oak Baptist Church, if at the end of the day, when you pillow your head you think God got the glory in what I did today, then guess what? Whether or not you had a blowout attendance day, whether or not someone got saved or baptized, if God got the glory in your effort, then that day was a success. What did Jesus tell His disciples in Matthew 5? He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. Is that what He said? He said, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What is the purpose of ministry? It is the glory of God. Number seven. Statement number seven. The tools of ministry are the word and prayer. The tools of ministry are the word and prayer. Uh, That's what we use, right? We're not going to use self-help books. We're not going to talk about uh, how how great this methodology works, how great that methodology works. We're going to fall in love with the Bible. We're going to get our knees and pray. And we're going to let the Spirit of God... Uh, uh, grow us, and we're going to let Christ build His church. The tools of ministry are the word and prayer. Next, number, uh, number eight, the privilege of ministry is growth. The privilege of ministry is growth. When we do it God's way, and we fall in love with God, and we have His Holy Spirit power on us, then we get to see growth. By the way, when you're loving and ministering to people, whether you're leading a family at home to love God, husbands, fathers, uh, whether you're teaching a life group and uh, bringing forth the truth of God's Word, whether you're leading one of our uh, 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 ministries that uh, are between newborn and 18 years old, uh, wh- whatever it is, you're, you're an usher, whatever it is, however it is you're serving, um, I'm going to tell you who grows the most. You do. You do. You know, nobody's going to get more out of Acts 20 in this room tonight than me. Because I sat down in my office and I studied it, and I put it together, and I'm growing thereby. As you serve, and as you pour yourself in to any particular ministry here, boy, the privilege of you ministering is that you get to grow closer to the Lord. If you're doing it the right way. Next statement. Number nine. The power of ministry is the Holy Spirit. The... Songwriter said, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. A lot of places uh, call themselves uh, worship centers around this country. And it's just a joke. Because they showed up, they had, scare quotes, church. But the Holy Spirit of God never, ever, ever moved one bit. It's almost like the glory of God has departed. Because what's going on there is nothing more than formalities, rituals, traditions. Boy, I want the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in everything that's done here. Whether you're playing the piano, you're, you're, you're cleaning a bathroom, you're teaching a class, you're changing a diaper in the nursery. You say, can I change a diaper with the power of the Holy Spirit? You sure can. You sure can. You ought to pray through everything you do. You ought to invite the Spirit of God in everything you do. The Spirit of God is like a dove. He can be shooed away so easily with sin in our life. Number 10, statement number 10. The model for ministry is Jesus Christ. Boy, we study the life of Christ and we see how He did ministry, and that's where we get our ministry. This is our church, folks. White Oak Baptist Church, this is our local church. Each of us here are called to minister and give our lives for the furtherance of the gospel and the edification of the saints. We should be committed to the care of the church. Yes, it is the pastor's job to lead the congregation. All of us, all of us are called to grow to a place where we can turn around and help other new believers, to grow in the Lord. And by the way, from the youngest one in the room to the oldest one in the room, all of us are called to grow and grow and grow in the Lord and then turn around and help others to grow in the Lord. The life group leaders minister to their classes. The youth workers minister to our teenagers. The children workers minister to the children, the nursery workers, uh, minister to the babies and the toddlers, the choir minister, uh, choir ministers to the congregation, the ushers minister to the needs of the people and the desire of the pastor, the cleaning crews minister to the needs of the church and offer us a clean building, the bus workers minister to our bus riders, the sound booth workers minister to the congregants and the live stream cloud, the crowd, the disciplers minister to the disciplees, the soul winners minister to the lost in our community the financial contributors minister to the lost and needy both here and abroad yes it is the pastor's duty to lead us in ministry but all of us must be committed to the care of the church so we're going to look at acts chapter 20 this evening and we're going to see how committed paul was to the churches We'll see how he admonishes the elders of the church of Ephesus to take up his cause and care for the church in his absence. Let's jump in tonight. Point number one, point number one, notice Paul's final journey through Macedonia. Paul's final journey through Macedonia. Now, in Acts 19, Paul was in Ephesus. Uh, In fact, he spent most of his time of his third missionary journey in Ephesus. He was there for two years ministering to, uh, training, uh, uh, creating disciples and missionaries and sending them out. Last week we looked at the when the culture fights back. We saw that the culture had had enough of all of the people getting saved. It was beating at the wallet of the silversmiths. and um, uh, Demetrius stirred up the other silversmiths and they created a riot in town. And there's this big scene and chanting and, and all this that went on in the amphitheater and boy, Uh, God had made it clear in Paul's heart and life it was time for him to go ahead and leave Ephesus and move on. So where did Paul go? Well, Paul would take one last tour around Europe or uh, Macedonia. He would make one last tour through the churches and help confirm them uh, before he headed to Jerusalem. Look at chapter 20 and look at verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse 6. The Bible says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over uh, those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, uh, as he was uh, about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied to him in the Asia Sopater of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and uh, Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus and of Asia uh, Tychicus and Trophimus. So who are these people? These people represent the various church leaders who he's trained and poured in all over the place from the region of Tarsus, uh, closer to Antioch, all the way through Macedonia. Boy, all of these leaders have come together and he's ministering to them one more time before he heads, uh, uh, starts heading toward Jerusalem. Look at verse 5. These going uh, before tarried for us at Troas and we sailed away from Philippi after the day of unleavened bread, and came unto them uh, to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. So Paul calls all these leaders uh, that he had trained and prepared, that are ministering all over uh, the, the, the civilized world where he had been, and he calls them for a meeting of the minds, if you will, in Troas. So he shows up in Troas, five day journey from Philippi to get there, and he's there for seven days. Now the apostles know. Uh, The apostle knows, Paul knows, that his traditional missionary journeys are probably coming to an end. His reason for making one final trip through Macedonia and the surrounding areas were twofold. What were the two reasons Paul traveled through Macedonia one more time? Well, the first reason was to encourage and admonish the churches, to uh, help uh, fortify them against legalism and, and, and wolves that would come in and try to tear apart the doctrine of the church. But the second reason why he made this trip through Macedonia was to collect an offering for the saints at Jerusalem. So we see that Paul is bound and determined to go to Jerusalem his mind's made up he knows that it's hostile there the jews don't like him much like they didn't like jesus and uh he knows that he's walking into a hornet's nest by going back to jerusalem but he doesn't care he's going anyway look down at verse 13 verse 13 we we'll read down through verse 16 acts 20:13 and when uh we and when uh we went before to ship and sailed into Asis, a- they're intending to take in paul for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met uh, and when he met with us at Asus, we took him in and came to Mytilene. Um, and we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at uh, uh, Prog- Prog- Progillium. And the next day we came to Miletus. Look at verse sixteen. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost or the feast of Pentecost. You see that the author is writing about his journeys through these cities. Paul's not sticking around. He's hitting these towns. They're hotel stays, if you will. He's catching some sleep, right? He's eating his continental breakfast. He's back in the car, and he's heading to the next town, if you will, okay? And uh, he's neck break speed moving through these cities after he leaves Troas. He's bound and determined to get to Jerusalem no matter what awaits them there. He's got a schedule he's trying to keep. So, number one, Paul's final journey through Macedonia. The majority of the message is going to be in point three. Let's hasten uh, quickly through number two. Number two, notice Eutychus' fall from the church window. Now this uh, this is a funny story. Look at chapter 20 and verse 7. It's, it's, it's funny and then it's sad and then it's It's relieving to see that uh, God comes through. Look at verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, so Paul's at Troas here. Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and "...fell down from the third loft, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embraced him, said, "'Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and taken a long while, even till a break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted, or were comforted greatly." What happened here? Paul is, uh, uh, by the way, there's a lot of precedents here we see. First of all, they have church on the first day of the week. So for our Seventh-day Adventist crowd, they didn't have church on Saturday. They had church on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. So if you want to look for a biblical precedent for church being on Sunday, right here in Acts 20 in Troas, they have church on Sunday. And if you want a precedent for Sunday evening church, they had an evening service on Sunday. Amen? And so this is very biblical, the service that you're attending tonight. But uh, Paul, listen, some people label me as being a long-winded preacher. I, I don't know... Uh, it's all relative, right? If, if you're used to 25 minutes, then I'm a long-winded preacher. But if you compare me to the Apostle Paul, boy, I'm a short preacher. I mean, I don't preach real long. Paul preached and preached and preached, and he was still preaching, and it's midnight. Imagine if I, it's 645 right now, imagine if I preached all the way to midnight. I wonder how many of you would be left in here. Uh, some of you get and go to the bathroom and come back in and, and hang in there. Especially if I didn't tell you I was going to preach that long. Now, maybe Paul told everyone we're going to have a midnight um, a watch hour type. So I don't know what was said, but Paul preached and preached and preached. And, I, and here's how I picture this happening. Eutychus is a young man, and he's getting tired, right? And so he thinks, I need to get some fresh air. So he walks over, and they're on the, they're on the third story of the building there. He walks over, and he opens up a window to get some air to wake himself up. And he's standing there and the air is hitting him in the face. And he thinks, you know what? My legs are getting tired. I'm going to sit. And so he sits in the windowsill there, that night air keeping him awake. And Paul's preaching and preaching and preaching. And about midnight, he just decides uh, he can't hang in there any longer. How many of you ever seen someone in church fall asleep and they start doing this right here? Right? I saw a guy do that one time. And, and this was a church that had pews. And, he, and his head was getting closer and closer to that pew in front of him, you said, surely you woke him up, right? No, I wanted to see what was going to happen. I was a college kid. And... Wham! He hit that pew in front of him and had a knot on the front of his forehead. And, uh, all of us sitting behind him were just laughing. You say, that's cruel. I know I shouldn't have done it, but it, it happened. Amen. I'm just sharing with you the history of what happened. Us college kids didn't get a lot of sleep. And, uh, anyway, you the kids must have been a college, Bible college student, he's sitting in the window. It's approaching midnight and he falls asleep and he's sitting in the windowsill sleeping. And the Bible says he fell out of the window. Now imagine our church building was on the third floor. And while I'm up here preaching, someone falls out of the window to their death. And, and it's a beloved brother in Christ. Let's say it's Brother Kyle. He's a Bible college student. Uh, this could vary. And he works a job and he's married. Poor guy. He, he sleeps like four hours a night, five hours a night. I'm not exaggerating. And let's say Brother Kyle here. And by the way, if you're, I never have. Have you ever seen Kyle sleeping in church? Don't judge him. Amen? Cut him some slack. He's, uh, he's a hardworking guy. But imagine, Brother Kyle, you fell asleep in church and you fell to your death. Miss Autumn's heartbroken. She's crying naturally. And and, uh, and, and and then all of a sudden, Paul goes down and he hugs this dead guy on the ground. And he says, don't worry. His life is in him. And he raises him back to life. That must have been quite a service. And then he comes in and they took a break from Paul's preaching and they ate food. Amen? And then they went right back to preaching until the sun came up. That's a long church service. That's a, How many think we shouldn't keep that precedent? Amen. You need to go to work on Monday morning, and we probably shouldn't have an all-night uh, church service there uh, that keeps us all little Monday morning. Uh, but uh, Paul there, he's preaching the gospel. Rather, he's preaching the word. And uh, boy, next time you think I'm long-winded, just think of Paul and Eutychus. And remember that no one has died under my preaching yet. Amen? So, uh, number one, we see Paul's final journey. Number two, we see Eutychus' fall. Number three, notice, notice Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. Now, this is where we're going to spend the rest of the message this evening. And this is where my heart, um, I I really want my heart to be conveyed here. Uh, Boy, this is uh, what Paul had to share with with these folks was so good. So let me uh, just set this up for you. Paul then travels down to a town right outside of Ephesus, on the outskirts of Ephesus. I believe, Uh, let's look back at verse number uh, uh, 20 there. Uh, Let's see here. I'm turning back. I'm sorry, not, not 20, uh, verse 12, not verse 12, it's here somewhere, bear with me a minute, verse 16, here it is, the end of verse 15 says, the next day he came to Miletus, okay, so in Miletus, he's going to meet up with these elders right outside of Ephesus, and he sends for the church leaders, now listen up, he sends for the church leaders from the church at Ephesus that he had established, this strong work he had established, he sends for the elders or church leaders, and he calls for them to come to him, and he's going to have one last meeting with them. He's going to charge them one last time uh, to continue to do a good job caring for the church. And he's going to encourage them to be committed in their care for the church. All right, so uh, look with me at letter A and notice Paul's duty, Paul's duty. Look at verse 18 of chapter 20. So now Paul is addressing the elders there of the church of Ephesus. Look at 18. The Bible says, and when they were come to him, they, the elders of of, uh, Ephesus had come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the Lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, write these three things, write these, three, write these next three things down. Here's what I see out of 18, 19, 20, and 21. I see here about Paul's duty, I see that he had consistent service. Consistent service. Look back at verse 18. The end of the verse says, uh, From the first day that I came into Asia or into Ephesus, after what manner, look at the end of the verse here, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. At all seasons. You know what Paul is saying here? When I felt like doing the work of the Lord, I was there. When I didn't feel like it, I was there. When it was hot outside, I was there. When it was cold outside, I was there. When I was encouraged, I was there. When I was discouraged, I was there. And no matter what life threw me, I was in my place. I was serving you. I was fulfilling my duty. Pastor Lejeune, uh, why should I serve God? Because it's your duty to serve God, it's your duty your reasonable service. Emphasis on the word reasonable. Reasonable. Look, you're not God's greatest gift to White Oak Baptist Church because you fill in the blank whatever you do. You've heard me say this, but if I were to die of a heart attack tomorrow or have a brain aneurysm and die in my sleep uh, tonight, there are plenty of capable and qualified men that could come in and lead this church. God does not need me. I need God. God does not need me. I need to be consistent because that's my reasonable service for what the Lord has done for me. Let me ask you a question tonight. Wherever you serve in church ministry here, are you consistent? Can you be counted on? Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, he says, an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. I I don't talk to Cheryl about the details of this, and so if this applies to you, I'm not picking on you on purpose. But I know the nature of church nurseries. Are you that person that when Cheryl's Cheryl's phone dings, she looks down and sees your name on that lock screen, she thinks, oh boy, she canceled on me again. Uh, here we go again. i got to find a replacement for her on the schedule. You commit to be in the choir. Are you here week in and week out, week in and week out? Are you consistent in your service? You commit to teach a class. Are you consistent in coming prepared to deliver a good lesson to your class? Are you consistent in your service? Paul said in verse 18, he said, After what manner I have been with you, At all seasons. It didn't matter how good or bad it was. It didn't matter how difficult it was. I was there at all seasons. Consistent service. Boy, the one thing I see that our generation lacks from, say, the World War II generation is we lack consistency. We lack it. We're not good at it. We're up and down depending on how we feel. It's time we take the emphasis on how we feel off of how we feel and put it on what is your duty. Whether or not you feel like it, just do it. The feelings will come later. Consistent service. Notice next, committed service. Look at verse nineteen. Paul said, speaking of himself, he said, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. I love 19 because it shows us the humanity of Paul. It says, I serve the Lord and I had in order to stand the test of time I had to be humble in my mind. He said, there were nights I cried myself to sleep. He said, I did this with many tears. He said, I did this with temptations. What temptations do you think Paul faced? We If you're like me, you read through Acts and you think, Paul is a superhero. I mean, three missionary journeys, this guy was like the Energizer Bunny. He just kept ticking and ticking and going and going and going. Nothing derailed this guy. And that's true. But Paul said, man, I face temptations. I wonder how many times Paul was discouraged and wanted to quit. Paul would say and standing, and we'll see in a few weeks, Paul would say standing in front of the Roman government, he would say, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. He said, there are times I have to sit down and get my stinking thinking in order. I wonder how many times Paul was in a pit of despair and wanted to quit on what he was doing. But Paul said, look, I've had to do this with humbleness of mind. I've had to do this through tears I've had to do this through temptations. And then he goes on in verse 19 and says, i had to do this through threats. I've had Jews threatening to kill me every step of the way. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, not only was I consistent, I was committed. Let me ask you a question tonight. Can you be consistent without being committed? The answer is yes. Yes. You can just show up unprepared and go through the motions. Right? You're asked to teach a class. You can show up all ten weeks to teach, but yet not really be prepared when you get up there. You're consistent, but you're not committed. You're not committed. How many ladies understand that if you're going to do a good job working the nursery, there's a mindset mentality you have to come to church with that week? Right? You can't just show up, ah, Whatever. We need our ushers to not only be consistent in being here, but to be committed to looking out for the needs of others. We need our youth workers to not just go through the motions to be committed. Look down at verse 33. Paul said, "...I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered into my necessities." Speaking of his tent making, by the way. "...And to them that were with me, I have showed you all things." How that so laboring, ye ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is saying, I have been committed to my service. Let me give you one more thought here below letter A. Comprehensive service. Comprehensive service. Look down at verse 20. Acts 20, verse 20 says, and Paul says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and, notice the word and, from house to house. Paul said, yes, I've stood up publicly and I've preached publicly. I have taught in general uh, broad He said, but not only did I counsel you and disciple you and preach to you from the pulpit of the church, I went and sat at your dining room table. I sat in your living room on the sofa and I ministered to you house to house. Paul said, I didn't just go through the motions of being the leader. I didn't just uh, throw out a, a, a food and say, well, if they don't eat it. It's their fault. No, Paul said, I tended to each one of you individually. I have tailor-made a way to love on every single person that God has brought to me. 21. He says, not only did I go to the Jews, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, publicly house to house, Jews. Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said here. He said I not only uh, uh, cared for the church in my consistency. I not only cared for the church in my level of commitment. I was thorough. I was comprehensive in my service. Why? Why, Paul? Why did you do it? You did it. He'd said it. He'd come back and say, "I did it because it was my duty. I did it because it was my reasonable service." Look at twenty-six. Look at verse 26. Paul said, Wherefore I take you to record this day. He said, Write it down. I'll sign my name to it. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. What a statement. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul said, I've done my part. He said, everywhere I've gone, I've told people about Jesus. Everyone knows what I believe. Everyone knows that I care. Everyone knows that I'm committed to the care of the church and to the general area that God has given me. Why? Because not only have I been consistent in my service, not only have I been committed in my service, I've been comprehensive in my service. Paul said, there's no man that can point their finger at me and say, you didn't tell me. You didn't care for me. You didn't look out for me. You didn't feed me the counsel of God. Boy, may that be said of us, that whatever our purview is, whatever our area of responsibility is. Some of you say, Pastor, I don't have any leadership in the church. Do you have leadership at home? Do you have folks that you look after at home? You need to rule your own house well. Learn to love. Learn to lead. Learn to care. It is your duty to care for the flock that God has assigned you. We see letter A, Paul's duty better be noticed Paul's determination. Paul's determination. Look down at verse 22. Paul tells the elders of Ephesus, he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. We'll keep reading in just a moment. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem one way or the other. He said I have no idea what's going to happen to me when I get there. Again, I like to look at the human side of Paul because I think we all can relate with it. You know, we're all afraid of, we're all afraid of the unknown. All of us become paralyzed over what awaits us in a, an uncertain future. Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I don't care what happens to me. I'm determined Now, was that the right move for Paul? We're going to look at that more in a moment here. Look at verse 23. Paul says, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying the the, uh, bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me. Paul's determined. He said, no matter what case you make that I shouldn't go to Jerusalem, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dearer to me, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received with the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. Look at verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Which leads us to an interesting thought. What or who led Paul to go to Jerusalem? And I say what or who, because was it the Spirit of God or was it something else? Um, if you look back there, the verse we just read, look at verse number 20, 22. Or yes, 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit. Notice that the S of Spirit is lowercase. Had that been a capital S, there'd be no question about this. and Paul would have been saying, the Spirit of God is leading me to go to Jerusalem. That's a lower case S. So Paul's saying, I go bound in the Spirit. I go bound by my emotions to go to Jerusalem. So was it Paul's Spirit that led him to go to Jerusalem? Um, there's a case to be made that it was not God's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem. There's a, I'm not saying that this is correct. I'm just saying there's a case to be made. Um, think, think, through, think through this with me here for just a moment. He had never been accepted by the Jerusalem Church. Why? Can anybody here think of a reason why Paul had never been accepted by the Jerusalem Church? Maybe because he oversaw Stephen's death and went in and arrested and killed, uh, had arrested, which led to the death of many, many, many men women and children within that church. Um, I think we all can understand why Apostle Paul was not everyone's favorite apostle within the Jerusalem church, right? He may have felt great guilt. Would you feel great guilt if you were Paul? Paul? You know, every time you show up in Jerusalem, which he he went a handful of times prior to this, but every time you show up in Jerusalem, there's that lady in the church who won't shake your hand because you are the reason why she's a widow. And you leave that day and it's eating you up. And there probably wasn't just one lady like that. Probably a lot of ladies like that. You meet some boy who's now a man and he doesn't have a, he, and he's, his life's going off the rails, in part because he didn't have a dad to teach him how to live. Why didn't he have a dad? Because Paul put his dad in jail. Paul had his dad killed. Paul, Paul was not accepted by the Church of Jerusalem. Paul felt great guilt, and what did he do? In, in essence, he went around and collected an offering um, to give to the Church of Jerusalem. Now why did Paul do that? Second Corinthians 8 and 9, we read that Paul is challenging the church of, uh, of Corinth to give toward this offering to the saints of Jerusalem. Why is Paul collecting this offering around Macedonia so he can go to Jerusalem? Was it because the Spirit of God told him to raise the money to give to the church? Yes, that is a possibility. It is also a possibility that Paul was so ridden with guilt over what he had done to that church, he was raising an offering to say, here, I'm sorry. Paul now was heading into Jerusalem to give them this offering. Was it the Spirit of God that led Paul, or was it Paul's Spirit that led him there? There's a case to be made that it was not God's perfect will for Paul to go, but there's a case to be made that it was God's perfect will for Paul to go. So, was it Paul's Spirit, or was it God's Spirit? You say, Pastor, what's the answer? We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to know, all right? There's no way to really know. The Bible doesn't really tell us. These are fun things to think about. Now, what's the case for why it would be God's Spirit? Everywhere else Paul went, um, he, he, he seemed to have been led by the Spirit of God. All right? Even through Paul's arrest, the gospel was taken to the Roman government. And from what we understand from history, uh, it seems that many of the Roman uh, politicians uh, received Christ... Uh, Because of Paul's testimony after his arrest. Uh, By the way, in verse number 24, Paul says, I must finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord. And so it would seem maybe that this was the path that God's Spirit had laid out for him uh, that he was taking. So which was not we don't know. But this much we do know, Paul uh, was determined to go to Jerusalem and he did not care that his life was in danger. He was going to go forth. So here's a quick point of application for all of us. Are you willing to do God's will and care for the church even if it means your life must be put on the line? I hope the answer is yes. Some of you say, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, uh, pray and give your heart and soul to the work of the Lord and loving your neighbor through the avenue of White Oak Baptist Church and do so on such a level where your heart is determined that no matter what it takes, you're going to fulfill that plan. Let her see. notice Paul's directions. Paul's directions. Before Paul goes... Paul has talked about his own service. Paul has talked about his, um, his, his mission and where he's heading. Now Paul is going to instruct the elders of the church of Ephesus in how to do their job properly. Look at verse 28. Look here. Paul says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to fle- feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock also of your own selves, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every, everyone night and day with tears. Let me give you three thoughts below uh, Let her see here quickly. Notice Paul's instructions were to preserve the flock of God. Preserve the flock of God. Look back back at verse 28 here. The Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Unto yourselves. If we're going to preserve, listen up here, this is very important. I'm speaking to many of you who are leaders here at White Oak Baptist Church. If we're going to preserve the flock of God, we must begin first preserving our own Christian hearts and lives. I cannot feed others spiritually unless I'm feeding myself spiritually. You all with me this morning? This evening? You all with me? You can't get up and teach others about how they're to read the Bible if you're not reading the Bible. You can't tell others they're to pray if you don't bend your knee and pray. You with me this evening? You have to first take heed unto yourself. You have to make sure your heart is right with God. You have to make sure you're putting on the armor of God. Many of us want to get up and teach on Sunday when we haven't walked with God on Monday through Saturday, boy, let's not that be. Let's not let that be said about us. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Look here, and to all the flock, and to all the flock over the, the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, overseers to feed the church of God. Feed the church of God. And so we come each week and we provide the food to the flock. By the way, someone once said, "Sheep go where the flock is fed. Sheep go." where the flock is fed. I I want White Oak Baptist Church to be a place where the spiritual food is tossed out and it's so rich every week that word spreads, boy, let's go to White Oak Baptist Church. The life groups are where you get fed. The the, the preaching services are where you get fed. Why? Because uh, not only are they taking heed unto themselves, but they're overseeing the flock of God. That doesn't mean they're bossing people around and telling people what to do. But let me tell you what it does mean. This is very practical. Listen. When you look around and see that someone's not been in church for a while, that you're calling their phone, you're texting them, you're stopping by and visiting them, you're not shrugging your shoulders and go, well, Pastor Lejeune will take care of it. Yeah, Pastor Lejeune might just take care of it, but why do you have to put it all on one man? Let's be a team and let's look out one for another. Boy, it takes a team. You want to preserve the flock of God, then you look after the spiritual well-being of of one another. You see that one of your brothers and sisters in the Lord have not been in church in a while or are struggling spiritually, boy, come to their aid, oversee, feed the church of God, preserve the flock of God. Notice next, prize the flock of God. Prize the flock of God. And by that I mean value. Look at verse the end of verse twenty-eight. The Bible says, To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. How much does God love those that make up the church? So much that he purchased them with the price of his own blood. I have this fear that one day I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, Hey, this family right here I sent to your church. And they came, they visited a few weeks, they left, and they never got saved because you, who I put as their overseer, you didn't prize them. You didn't value them. You didn't stay after them. You didn't care for them. I'm going to tell you where people go to church. People go to church where they feel loved, where they feel cared for. All right, I'm going to make a statement here that for some of you this is going to be like a light bulb moment. All right. How many understand? That no matter who the pastor is, whether it's me or someone who's far, even far more talented than I am. Alright, there are pastors out there that are far more talented than I am. I know them. Alright? I'm not being I'm not faking humility. I know lots of pastors, and some of them are, are, are uh, even more capable of pastoring than I am. Alright, listen, how many of you understand this? No matter who the pastor is, there are limitations on how many people that pastor can care for. You all understand that? Understand that? There's only X amount of people until I reach a saturation point, point, I can't look after, on a deep level, more than X amount of people. So if we want the church to grow past that line, guess what? Pastor Lejeune going to need some recruits to help him. Can I count on you to help me value the flock of God? You say, Pastor, I'm still growing in the Lord. I'm not there yet. Then keep growing. But your goal ought to be that you grow to a place where you can join the team and help care for the flock of God. Boy, I would love White Oak Baptist Church to get to the place where I look after the team that looks after the church. I look after, I pastor the team that shepherds the church. How do churches grow to be 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 in size? Because that pastor of that church has a team of people who think like this. They value the flock of God. They cherish the flock of God. My friend, this evening, if we're going to get to a place where we grow, you're going to have to pick up your phone and text and call. You're going to have to get in your car and drive over and visit and care for and love on people. You're going to have to do your part. And I'm not talking about uh, uh, stepping on top of the pastor and taking his job away, but I am saying coming to the aid and assist and help. Prize The flock of God. Why? Because He purchased them with His own blood. Uh, Notice here under letter C. Lastly, notice, protect the flock. Look at verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things or twisted things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch... And remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Listen, there has to be a group of people who look after protecting the flock of God. What's that mean? We're protecting from false doctrine. We're protecting from the cares, riches, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and the, see, the cares, Luke 8 here, the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world that pull people away. We're looking after, we're, we're, we're protecting the flock of God. We're concerned for their souls. Uh, you know the story where the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes and gets the one and he brings it back to the, the fold? Thank God for every time Pastor Lejeune or Pastor McGuire or one of the deacons goes and gets one of the one who's strayed and brings them back to the fold. But you know what? You can join the team of those who look for lost sheep. You can help us protect the flock of God. Paul said... Paul said this, he said, wolves are going to come in and try to sow false doctrine. He said, you look over the doctrine of the church, you look over the hearts of others, because the attacks are going to come from without, and the attacks are going to come from within. Paul's duty, Paul's determination, Paul's directions, notice letter D, Paul's departure. Look at verse 36. When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. Can you picture them there in that little room. And They're huddled up. They're on their knees. They're praying together. Look at verse 37. We see the emotion. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Paul loved these people. These people loved Paul. They had a prayer meeting together. They wept. They hugged. They kissed. And they parted ways. Who in this church have you invested in so deeply that if you were to leave, they would weep and cry? Who in this church have you loved so much and cared for so much? It would be pain for them to see you go. Many people come into White Oak Baptist Church they sit on our pew for a little while and they leave. Easy in, easy out. Right? Almost like a library book. Don't let that be said about you. Pour yourself into other people in this church and be committed to the care of the church. Let's have our heads about a nice close this evening. Lord help us tonight. Each one of us to put our hand to the plow, not to look back. Lord, you created a wonderful thing when you created the church because you gave us an avenue and a place where we could adequately sufficiently fulfill our command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, there's a lot of new Christians in this church, a lot of folks who are visiting who aren't even saved yet. Yes, they need a pastor to stand in the pulpit and preach the word of God, but they need a brother and sister in Christ who lives where they live, going through what they're going through, to come along their side and genuinely and deeply and passionately care for them. Some in this room tonight already have official titles of leadership. Others don't. Lord, whether we have a title or not, whether we have an official audience or not, may we all commit to care for the church. May we all commit to pour ourselves into others. Lord, the sermon tonight's not been as bombastic as others. It's not been as sensational as others. Lord, I believe it's as critical as any sermon that's been preaching in this pulpit in a long time. May we be consistent in our service. May we be committed in our service. And Lord, may we be comprehensive, thorough in our service. May we fulfill our reasonable service to You. Stir our hearts tonight, God, like only You can. Spirit of God, move in that still, small voice. Lord, those who are serving... May tonight they recommit to doing it the right way. Doing it in a way that pleases You. In Jesus' name.